Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Our pantry and and uh, and I, I'm ashamed to say this, but it took me. Uh, took me several weeks to really get to that job. And so what I did is I went down, I bought a few light bulbs, I came back, I got up into the pantry and I, I put the first light bulb in and it went on for about four or five seconds and then it went out. And, uh, and so I took that one out and I put the other new one in that I bought and put it in and about four or five seconds it went out as well. And I thought to myself, what's going on here? I know that, uh, that these things got to work. I'm not really good at this. So I thought, well, I know where there's one more good light bulb. I mean, I'm not catching on, folks. I'm really not catching on. And it was in my closet. And so I went up and I got the light bulb out of that closet. I came down. I plugged it into the, the, the power in the pantry. And it did the same thing. It went about five seconds and, and it burned out. And I didn't fix a thing because right now at my home, we have a dark pantry and I have a dark closet. Nothing got done. You see, the power source that I was plugging into just didn't have the ability to give me the light that I needed. But I kept trying and trying to make it work. I really did. What I needed was a power source that was greater than the one that I was plugging into. How many of us go through life the same way? We just keep trying to plug into a source that isn't big enough. And we keep burning out over and over again. We find ourselves broken. We find ourselves burnt out, wondering why I keep ending up in the same place. Disappointed, angry, bitter at God, bitter at myself, bitter at the people around me. Friends, here's where the power of God really comes in in our lives. And I wish I could describe to you the majesty and the greatness of God, but I can't. I'm a finite person, and I can't describe an infinite God. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 55, God himself said, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways and thoughts are higher than yours. The psalmist says this in Psalm 145, We cannot fathom the greatness of God, but it sure would be fun trying, wouldn't it? that we can talk about the greatness of God. And I'm convinced that we have to think through the greatness of God because I'm afraid that too many of us have a view of God that is just too small, that it's just too confining. And it plays itself out in a couple of different ways. One is that we go through this whole sermon series about God's ability to make what's broken whole, that we are valued people, that we are loved people, that we are redeemed people, and for some reason, we may still struggle with God's ability and desire to give freedom and strength, and it may be because we don't consider the greatness of God. We don't consider the magnitude of God. Here's the point. Who I am brings significance because of who he is. I am because of who he is. And without him, I am absolutely nothing. So for the next few minutes, I want to take a shot at bragging on God. I want to take some time and just brag on the God that loves me, the God that created the universe And how plugging into this great God makes all the difference in life and it makes all the difference in death. 
And for some of you who may know and for others who simply need to be reminded, here's what the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25. He said, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. You see, when Paul wrote this, he was standing in Athens. It was actually the think tank of the world. And there were these people that would sit around all day long, and all they would do is discuss philosophy. And so they set up idols to every god they could think of, an idol to this god, an idol to that god. And then there was another idol, and it was set up and labeled to an unknown god. And Paul, he went over to that one, and he said, I can see that you are very religious people. He was saying, you do a lot of religious things, but you just don't know God. Could Paul have been talking to some of us that we do a lot of religious stuff, but we don't know God? At least we don't know how big and how magnificent and how marvelous he is. And so Paul says that I'm going to take what you don't know and I'm going to tell you what I do know. And he said the God who made everything is the Lord of heaven and earth. Now, you're going to notice that Paul didn't go there and try to prove God. What Paul did is he said, just by faith, he chose to believe God is. Me too. Me too. By faith, with all of my heart, I choose to believe that God exists, that the Bible is true, and that in the beginning, God created all things. You only have two choices. You really do. The question always is, what is your choice? Mine is that he is and that his greatness should overwhelm me, that I should stand in awe of his magnitude, of his glory, of all his greatness. I should be in awe, just captured, that the presence of God would consume me and it would consume you. You know that there are not enough words to adequately describe the breadth, the depth, the height of God. I do remember one summer evening I was laying under a brilliant night sky and everywhere I looked there was the greatness of God. My, my breath was taken away. It was so beautiful and I, and I couldn't get over that wherever my eyes would go, there I would see the greatness of God. And I thought of those words. In the beginning God created and he said, let there be light. And there was light. That by the breath of his mouth, the galaxies were born. That the breath of his mouth is from everlasting to everlasting. That in his breath, there is no end. And some of you may know this, that our earth and solar system is a fraction of the Milky Way galaxy. That's the galaxy that we're part of. And the earth is located 25,000 light years away from the rim, the outer rim of the Milky Way galaxy. The Milky Way measures about 100,000 light years across. It contains about 3 billion stars and they're still counting. 
And it would take 250 million years for our sun and solar system to make one rotation around the Milky Way. Now let's put that in perspective. 250 million years to make one lap around the Milky Way, knowing that the sun travels at 155 miles per second. Not minute, not hour, per second. That is going from here to Tacoma and back in two seconds. And you have to remember that scientists tell us that the Milky Way is only one of over a million galaxies. And in the beginning, God spoke and said, let there be light. One of the best individuals that describes the greatness of God in the Bible is the prophet Isaiah. That when you read the book of Isaiah, you can't help but be struck, awestruck by the awesomeness of God. And in Isaiah 40, 25 and 26, he says, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Isaiah went on to say that all the waters of the earth, all the waters of the earth can be contained in the palm of God's hand. That is all the oceans, that is all the rivers, that is all the lakes, that is all the streams, that is all the water on earth, all the water in the sky can be contained in the palm of God's hand. And he goes further and he says that God measures the million galaxies by the span of his hand. One, two, three, four galaxies. I I don't know how long it takes God to get to a million, but I'm sure it's not as long as it takes for us to get to a million. But he measures everything by the palm of his hand, by the span of his hand. Do you see, who is it that's going to compare to God? What is the earth compared to God? Isaiah said people are like grasshoppers. The nations are like a drop in the bucket. Isaiah isn't trying to belittle us. He's not trying to run us down. He's just trying to brag on God. He's just trying to communicate the greatness of God's glory, kind of what we're trying to do here today, to be stunned by his greatness, to be in awe of his magnitude, to realize who this is who gives us purpose The reason this means so much to me is because I'm a child of God. It means so much to me that I'm I'm related to the God of the universe who is without end and who speaks things into existence. He is my Father. And today what I I really want to do is encourage you to let your vision be lifted to the greatness of God. That, That the world that you're in may have captivated your attention, that your eyes are drawn to trouble, your trouble, the world's trouble. And we wonder, how is this all going to work out? And the Lord would just tell us, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes and see my greatness. John Piper, who is a wonderful theologian, he's an author, he pastors outside of Minneapolis. He's written several books. But he, but he said this, it's the Einstein indictment. 
And it's his observations on what Albert Einstein might have experienced during his day concerning God's creation. John Piper says, The design of the universe is very magnificent and it shouldn't be taken for granted. In fact, I believe this is why Einstein had so little use for organized religion. Although he strikes me as a very religious man, he must have looked at what the preachers said about God and felt that they were blaspheming. He had seen so much more majesty than they had even imagined. And they were just not talking about the real thing. My guess is that he simply felt that the religions that he had run across did not have proper respect for the author of the universe. You see, if anyone is to reflect the magnitude, the glory, the greatness of God, it's the people in this room. It's it's the people who call themselves followers of Christ that in our lives somehow the greatness of God would be shown in trial, in suffering, in pain, in victory. You know, I, I don't want what John Piper said in his statement about Einstein to be true or to be said about me. I don't want it to be said about us. I want people to know that when they see us, that we are people who stand in awe of God. In Acts 17, Paul is telling us that there's no one like our God, that he's in charge, that he's the center of the universe, that he began the universe, that he is the only one who will call it to completion, that he is the only one who sustains the universe, that he is the only one, he is beyond our ability to fathom. And it's not just that he is so big and that he is so vast, but it's his character that should overwhelm us. It's his character that should take away our breath. There are a few parts of his character that should make us stop in our tracks. And one of them is that God is holy, that he is a holy God. And today we don't quite altogether understand what that means. There's so much about the holiness of God. But it is the one God that that is one of a kind, that he is set apart, that he's totally unique, that there's no one else like him. He has no rivals. He is in a category on his own. He is a holy God. God in his character is also totally righteous, totally just, totally perfect. He's never made a mistake. He has never made a mistake, and he never will make a mistake. Things are right because he is the one who has established them to be right. Maybe you've used this line, raising your children, when they ask you, well, why should I do that? And the answer is, because I said so. You do that because I said so. And that's what God is saying to us here. That's what Isaiah says. We do this because God says so. Murder is wrong, not because we say so, not because we say it's wrong, but because God says it's wrong. Stealing is wrong, not because the laws of our land say that stealing is wrong. Stealing is wrong because God said it's wrong. We do good things, not because it's uh, something that we know that others say that we should do, but we do good things because God says to do good things. 
God is our true north. He is our plumb line. God is the absolute. Moses, who who was known to have a speech impediment, I think stepped out of his comfort zone when God instructed him to write a song in Deuteronomy chapter 32. I would have loved to hear him sing that song. Because I'm not sure. I'm wondering if he sang like me, which isn't very good. But he wrote a song. And part of the song is found in Deuteronomy 32, 3 and 4, where it says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. And in all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright, just is he. Here's the point. The the greatness of God should overwhelm us. It should bring us to a place where we say, God, in all that we go through, in all that we face, you are enough. God, you are enough. So when life is hard and pain and suffering come, we ask God, why? Why, God? And I get that. I understand that. I don't think there's anyone in this room that hasn't ever asked that question. I know I have. But there are two examples that help us with the answer. And they're found in the Old Testament. One is the person of Job. Job was a man who had everything in life. That God had given him everything. And in a short period, everything was taken from him. His cattle was taken from him. His land was taken from him. His children were taken from him. His health was taken from him. The only thing not taken from him was his wife. And she looked at him while he was going through this great tribulation and said, why don't you do this, Job? Why don't you just curse God and die? And Job's response was, no, no. The Lord has given to me And the Lord has taken away from me. I will praise the name of the Lord. And though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And that when he goes through this trial and tribulation and he looks back and he says, Before I heard of his greatness, but now I see his greatness. The Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... They were told by King Nebuchadnezzar that whenever you hear the sound of music, you're to bow down and you're to worship this great idol. And they knew in their hearts they would never do that. And the music played. They didn't bow down. Nebuchadnezzar brought them up to a fiery furnace. And he said, bow down. And they said, no, we will not bow down to this idol. And then he commands the fire to be stoked seven times hotter. And he says, bow down. And they said, no, we will not. Our God can save us. But even if he chooses not to, still we will not bow down. Because they put their trust in God. They saw the greatness of God. God knows that sitting in this room and around the world, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of brokenness. Many who are suffering physically Emotionally, spiritually, he knows. He knows. He knows that you have cancer. 
He knows that you're struggling with addiction. He knows that you're ashamed of your past, frightened of your future. He knows that you're grieving the loss of a loved one. He knows that you're depressed. He knows that you're jobless. He knows that you're angry. He knows that you're suffering. He knows that you are searching. God knows. And sometimes, and maybe most of the time, God doesn't spare us from the pain, but gets in the pain with us. And maybe we miss the greatness of God because all we see is the greatness of our pain. All we see is the greatness of our brokenness. All we see is everything falling apart around us. I want you to do this if you aren't already doing this. Uh, I want you to look at me. No one else may know the, the depth of your brokenness. And you may be one in here that's suffering silently and no other human has ever heard you voice your brokenness. God knows. And God is enough because God is God. Others may be blinded to God's greatness because we think that God needs us. <laughs> he needs us to pray. He needs us to read the Bible. He needs us to go to church. He needs us to do, to do good works. And so we keep doing good things and not bad things because God needs us. God doesn't need anything. God has no needs. Because if he did, he wouldn't be God. God doesn't need us. We do good deeds because he taught us to. We do good deeds because he's created us to. Why? So that we would reflect the greatness of God. So that we would reflect the glory of God. That's what the Bible tells us. We are a mirror to the world of God's greatness, of God's glory. That's why we do what we do. I just have one other thought because it's humbling to know that God doesn't really need anything and that that includes me. That God really doesn't need anything from me. God doesn't need us and if God has any needs, that means that he's less than holy, that he's less than righteous, that he's less than perfect. God has no needs, which means he doesn't need me. But, Ephesians 1.4 says this. He chose me. He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. And friends, you much rather be chosen than needed. Because if he needed you, that wouldn't be greater than you. And there's no security in that. There's no peace in that. You need for him to be so big. You need for him to be so majestic 
But the God who has no needs has chosen you because he wants to. You are here today not because he needs you, not because you can work yourself into good graces with him. You are here today because he wants you. He has chosen you. You have to capture that. You have to make an understanding and have an understanding with God. That God, you have chosen me. And because he has chosen you, he wants you just as you are. And he says, he says this to us. Trust in me. Trust in me. So he chooses us. He doesn't need us. He chooses us because he wants to. I want to show you a, a picture of the girls in my life. These are my girls. And, and I got to tell you, these girls, I would do anything for these girls. I would go to the ends of the earth because they've captured my heart. And it's not because I have to. It's not because I'm, I'm being asked to do something I don't want to do. No, it's because I want to. I want to go to the ends of the earth for them. It's my choice. Why? Because I love these girls. I would do anything for these girls. Now, if an imperfect husband, an imperfect father can lavish his love on these girls, how much more will a perfect, majestic, awesome, great God lavish his love on those that he chooses? Not needs. He doesn't need you. He's chosen you because he loves you. Do you see why this makes such a big difference? It's because of who he is. And because of who he is, we have our life, our breath. We have significance because of who he is. He is a great God. He is all that you need. He is enough. Trust in Him. Lift your eyes to His greatness and see that His greatness is greater than your pain, greater than your brokenness, greater than anything you will ever face in life. Our God is great. Trust in Him. Would you bow your head with me? Would you do that? Father, we've, we've attempted to do something here that, that, that no human being has ever done, ever will do. But it was fun to try. It was fun to try to talk about your greatness. But we're finite people. You're an infinite God. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But what we do today is we trust and we believe in your greatness. That, that we would lift our eyes, that you would take the blinders off the eyes of our heart so that we can see you. Not just hear a, about what you do, but see you and see your greatness 
and all your majesty and all your wonder for you are a great God. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen and amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.